freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 112 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is Memorial Day, Decoration Day. Yeah, so Memorial Day and Decoration Day. We are in the studio recording on Memorial Day. This show won't air until a few days after Memorial Day has passed. But as we sit here today, I want to reflect on the meaning and the significance of Memorial Day. We have become so comfortable in our country with taking all that we have for granted. Even saying that phrase, taking it for granted, it washes over our ears as a meaningless and overused ism. When we take something for granted, we feel entitled to it. We do not believe that it requires any action, any attention, or any effort for that thing to be. And because it is effortlessly available to us, we also do not feel any special appreciation for it. We didn't even break a sweat, and yet we have every advantage of it. We didn't lift a finger or chip a nail, and yet we are the direct recipients of the blessings of it. In the case of Memorial Day, or as it is also known, Decoration Day, On this and every day, we have all of the advantages that America offers, all of the freedoms and all of the struggles. We have a country that people literally die trying to come to. It is unlike any other patch of earth that has ever or likely will ever exist on the globe. And why is that? The key is found in the reasons that we have a special day set aside called Memorial Day. And far too many of us don't even know why this day exists or what we should do to commemorate it. Do we celebrate Memorial Day or do we observe Memorial Day? I suggest that we do both. Memorial Day is the 24-hour period that we Americans pause and reflect on the men and women who wore the uniforms of our various armed forces and died while wearing those uniforms in service to their fellow men and women, countrymen and women. So we observe, we pray, we honor, and we remember the lives lost and the families changed due to the dedication unto death of so many millions of people who have given all. We also celebrate. 
we celebrate the fruits of their efforts, their labors, and their sacrifices. But mostly, and this is my personal challenge to myself and my fellow Americans, we must live in such a way as to have made their sacrifice worth it. We must unite our United States. We must learn and value our Constitution and protect and defend those ideals and values laid out by our forefathers. Not one of them is disposable and not one of them is to be trampled on by the selfish ambition of politicians and those who would have Americans live under the thumb of big government and held in the stranglehold of tyranny. Those of us who value and seek to protect and preserve the Second Amendment most especially bear the responsibility of teaching our children and our children's children what this day means. As Ronald Reagan said, freedom is only one generation away from extinction. We do not pass it onto our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, defended, and then handed down to them with the well-taught lessons for them to do the same. Because if you and I don't do this, then you and I might well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men and women were free. So, as you observe and as you celebrate, please be mindful that none of what we enjoy and struggle through as Americans can be taken for granted. And stand with me in deep reverence and prayer for the sacrifices that others have made on our behalf every single day, but most especially on this day that we know as Memorial Day. Dan? Well, I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, we don't realize what our country, you know, what it took to make our country what it is today. It's so true. I mean, we were just uh, at an amazing event that our, our first guest that's coming up today uh, set up for us where we, we met with people from museums all across the world, really. And as they talked about their different um, collections and the purpose for their different museums, you and I realized, oh, man, we are we are so behind the curve on knowing even our own history, much less the histories of, you know, some of the other countries that were represented at this event. And it's, it's a dang shame. Right. I mean, just we're watching turn right now mm -hmm. and I, I had it all wrong. The Washington spies yes. Netflix show. It's so good. I had it all I love wrong. It. And I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, I thought that 4th of July, 1776, that that was a year we gained our, you know, freedom gained the independence. Yeah, it's when but we started it fighting it, for it. Right, it's when we declared when we, it. Right, and so um, I I don't know if it's my fault or the school's fault for not teaching me. But you know, watching that story, I mean, I know that it's dramatized and stuff. But there's a lot of points that helps us to remember what it took to make our country what it is today. Absolutely, and even recommending like a Netflix show. Clearly, they're going to twist and bend some history in there, but at least gets you like your appetite whetted for wait i want to know is that thing that they just showed us is that factual did that happen right it makes you go look for the answers because Absolutely. so hey we've got a great 
lineup today. We Our do. first hour, we have in studio Ashley Hablinski. She is um, the Robert W. Woodruff Curator of the Cody's Firearm Museum at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. Ashley is the first female firearm curator at the most prestigious firearms museum in the United States, and she is a re recipient of the NSSF POMA Grits Grisham Shooting Sports Communicator of the Year Award. Ashley just hosted a gathering of museum creators from across the globe on the topic of ethics of firearms in museums, and there was a lot of interest. We got to go to that. It was amazing. Right. So um, maybe someday you want to own a museum, and well, I don't know. I'm maybe even a little less sure now after hearing what they go through. Right. There's a lot who that would, they go through. Who would think that that museums have issues with firearms? Right. Well. So, you know, Something you got, to think about. Yeah, it was a good deep look into what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, next, we have Beth Bauman. Beth is a social media writer at Town Hall Media, where she runs everything evening and weekend social media for the network. She also contributes frequently to Town Hall's notebook section and Twitchy. Hmm, never heard that before. <laughs> Beth recently wrote an article about measures being taken by the UN to impact the gun rights of American citizens. This is the UN that's doing this. Mm -hmm. And if I we don't know our history and we don't know our rights and don't know our constitution, then we go, okay, somebody's really smart out there, knows better than we do, so we'll just roll with it. No. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> We're not going to just roll with it. All right, good. Who else is coming on? On our second hour, we have Alan Crutch Crutchoff. He's the president of Adopt a Soldier's Platoon Incorporated, which supports Camp 4 Heroes. This nonprofit charity has been improving the morale of American warriors in harm's way since 2003. And Camp 4 Heroes is a retreat for life in North Carolina aimed at suicide prevention. Then we have Alan Corrin, who is a prolific writer, owner of Bloomfield Press, and leading expert in United States gun laws. Alan wrote an article recently in CJR concerning censorship via lack of competition in our news sources. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, a lack of competition. Right, so if there's not somebody out there to counterbalance, right? Right. Some of the news, hashtag fake news, that right. goes on out there. <laughs> then all, all the news is true, Cheryl, come on. Uh, Everything's yeah. true. Mm -hmm. Go on. We also, we also have <laughs> Robert Morse, author of Slow, Flax, Slow Facts blog and co-host of the Polite Society podcast. Rob recently wrote an article titled, We Are Paying to Get Our Kids Murdered, mm. in which he takes issues with the celebritizing of murderers. I mm -hmm. guess that's like rap and whatever. No, he's talking about when one of these these horrible mass murders take place, like in, in high schools, that oh. they plaster the face and the name of the murderer all over the place and so then the next uh, unbalanced individual out there who is looking for some way to make his life significant they they lean towards that and they say well this is how I can matter this is how I can be part of history right and then they take somebody that who saves a life and they go hey, there was a story about a guy that, uh, you know <laughs> yeah. they, they don't say anything or they'll put a little blurb in there exactly a hero yeah I, I'm telling you, it's it's definitely upside down. Well, we also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's commentary. Um, maybe. Coming. 
<laughs> coming up. And so uh, you want to stick around for every minute of today's show. And just real quickly before we go to break, I want to mention that this show is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Find out more and check out all of the great content at selfdefenseradionetwork.com. Net. That's a you know. If you like the content that you hear here, um, where you get to hear what experts think, people that spend their lives working in these fields, you're going to want to check out all the shows on the Self Defense Radio Network. Well, let's run to commercial and quickly get back in here so that we can talk with our first guest who has come in the studio, which we love, Miss Ashley Ablinski. Right after this. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf. Hi folks, I'm Don Carter. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too. Well, I fly that plane Call the angel flight Come on, brother, you're with me tonight Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio Where we engage, we educate, and we inform We are sponsored by azfirearms.com Your nationwide hometown gun shop Well, you'll notice that's a little bit of special music we have playing today in honor of Memorial Day. It's our theme, and we are actually in the studio on Memorial Day. So we want to uh, pay homage to what that day means, what this day means. And uh, we have a great lineup of guests, starting with our in-studio guest, Ashley Ablinski. She is the Robert W. Woodruff Curator of the Cody Firearms Museum at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. Ashley is the first female firearms curator at the most prestigious firearms museum in the United States 
and the recipient of the NSSF POMA Grits Gresham Shooting Sports Communicator of the Year Award. Ashley just hosted a gathering of museum curators from across the globe on the topic of ethics in fire. Let me say that again. Ethics of firearms in museums. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks for having me. I am so excited. I it was so cool for us to go to Cody because we'd never been there. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it wasn't snowing, so yeah. Ah, <laughs> well, that wind was something else, I'll tell you that. But but it really was. It's a beautiful town. It's kind of a little town. Yes. Yes, 9,000 people. Right? But yeah. then there's this Smithsonian-style-sized, quality, massive, gorgeous museum that you get to spend your days in. And that's the it, the Cody Museum is inside of the Buffalo Bill Center. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it's a 40-acre property, believe it or not. Uh, Seven-acre roof for the building itself. And there's the five museums, including the Cody Firearms Museum, which I run. And then there's a full-scale research library there. And so it's a very, very large institution for a small town. And we get about 200,000 people there um, every year. A lot of them on their way to Yellowstone because we're at the East Gate. And we didn't take time to get to Yellowstone, but on our way out of town, somebody said, oh, you didn't go to Yellowstone? It's like an hour from here. And I'm like, no, don't tell me that. 52 miles. Uh, So it's a reason to, many, many reasons to go back. And anyone that is looking for something to do with your family over the summer, I mean, holy cow, there's so much to do. The town itself, there's not like a ton to do, but you've got Yellowstone right there. And there's so much history. Well, in the museum itself, if you buy admission to the museum, it's a two-day admission. There is a ton to do no matter what you like because of the different institutions. And then there's a rodeo every night, which I don't think it's started up yet, but every night in the summer. So there is stuff to do in the town. There's white water rafting. This is my plug for the town of Cody, Wyoming. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Well, and then uh, you had arranged for all of us to spend uh, a couple of hours at a place called the Cody Firearms Experience. Yes. It's so beautifully named because it was an experience. Yeah, that place is relatively new. And um, last year when we hosted the symposium, we we took all the curators out there because a lot of us were, you know, academics. We don't get out to the range as much as people would think. And um, their focus is in historical firearms, but they have branched out and they do have more modern guns as well. And so if you're, you know, coming through the town, you want to shoot a flintlock, which you did. Yes, uh, first time ever. <laughs> it was awesome. Or if you want to shoot a Tommy gun, you know, in, in a very safe, controlled environment, it's, it's a really good um, opportunity that you don't get everywhere. Well, and I don't know if it was special for us or not, but the, each of the stations where you'd walk up to, to shoot the firearm, the man or woman who was manning that station gave us like a, a brief synopsis of the history of the firearm and you know what time in history it was brought about and how it was used. And I thought that was amazing because I'm, I'm always looking for that teaching teaching moment or teachable moment well and that range is all about education I mean that's their their main goal um obviously it functions as a a regular indoor shooting range the rest of the year and you know if if it's not busy but it is there for education uh, historical education during the summer season well the flintlock was great but I I do have my favorite nickname it face full of fire rifle (laughs) (laughs) because big old flash comes up right in front of your face and I'm like how are my eyebrows are they there 
Like well, yeah, facial hair can sometimes be a little bit of a struggle. And if you look at the older guns before the, the true flintlocks, the um, the cock actually comes towards you with the spark. And oh, so gosh. it's, yeah, I feel like they, they learned something from Yeah, that. maybe. Yeah. Cheryl had a very nice tan after she shot that gun. <laughs> That's true. Well, and we own uh, a Gatling gun, but we've never taken it out shooting. And oh, really? they had one mm-hmm. there that I got to crank the handle on and... It was so, so cool. Dan played my um, cameraman, so yeah. I'll have to get I those videos she up. She wouldn't let me shoot. You, you didn't shoot, Dan? No, she wouldn't <laughs> let me. That's not true. I you... tried. I really wanted to shoot the Gatling gun. <laughs> I've never shot one before. Oh, so pitiful you. Okay, so let's talk about this symposium. Um, I learned so much during that time. Um, not even so, so much about, you know, what is in each person's collection or museum, but like all the behind the scenes stuff like you know you've got this particular item this tool firearms and it holds a special place may i say stigma right yeah in america and and throughout the world and you curators have to figure out how to traverse the landscape between politics and showing history just it is. It just is. You're not trying to glorify anything. You're tr- hopefully not trying to downplay anything. Like, ah, oh, how do you you talk about that? <laughs> um, it's not. It's not a simple answer. But the basically the symposium started last year. This is the second year for it, and the conversations that we had um, our first year made us realize that we need to keep talking because there isn't a standard avenue to study firearms history in a way that you would if you wanted to be an art historian. You kind of have to get creative in graduate school, and there aren't a lot of people who are academically trained in the study of firearms and then also trained in museums. And so we got everyone together um, last year and then this year, and I mean we've had people everywhere from you know the Smithsonian to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Last year with the Art Institute of Chicago there. Um, We had a professor from the Art Institute this year. Um, The NRA Museum was there. You know, you had so many different institutions represented, um, international institutions like the Dutch Military Museum and the Royal Armories in England. And what's fascinating is they all have different missions. They all have different collections. And they all interpret different kind of periods in history. Some just interpret them for their aesthetic value. But we all have learned that no matter what, the firearms collections, no matter what type of institution you have, tend to be the most publicly popular. But they're the least respected academically and so we realized last year from our conversation that every person in that room you know represented a different range of political beliefs which is really neat but all united by the fact that we need to preserve and understand firearms history and we all do it in different ways but that we need to keep the uh, keep the conversation going and so we decided this year to focus it specifically on ethics of firearms and museums and that was everything from you know the mundane of you know who gets access to the collections and how do you navigate that to Two, you know, what is the role, if any, of firearms museums and firearms collections in the current gun debate? So it really kind of ranged the spectrum, but I think it was some really good conversations. It was amazing conversations uh, for me, especially because we aren't museum curators. We we hope to someday take some of the collection that Dan has amassed and, and put it in that form uh, rather than in the retail form that we have now with AZ Firearms. But um, so many things like, you know, you, we heard several of the curators say a lot of times the first question out of people's minds when they're looking at the firearms collections is, has that specific gun that I'm looking at 
ever been used to harm or kill someone. And what I thought when I heard that was, does anybody ever ask that about the swords? <laughs> you know, it's something that I've, uh, I I was talking to the Royal Armouries curator on a break about, um, because I, I don't know, because I don't really have a, a vast uh, sword collection, but there is a different kind of relationship that you see with people with different types of weaponry. You know, a lot of times with the swords, you'll talk about like blood marks on the swords, and there is, it's, it's just kind of a different thing, although a way more personal weapon, because you have to get, you know, hand to hand with that person. And so, you know, I actually do want to study more in depth kind of that transition of the different types Types of military arms that you see and how they're perceived by the public because it is a little bit different um, depending on you know what the subject matter is and what the weapon is and so I would like to study more about that because we kind of got into a, a, a nerdy conversation <laughs> <laughs> on the break. Well Ashley I was confused I, I, I didn't know that there were people that actually don't want firearms in museums that there are parents that don't want their kids to see the history and how firearms molded our, our country. Well, I think a lot of it is is misunderstanding and misinformation that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are I, I mentioned there aren't a lot of people who are trained in museums and firearms. And so when from my consulting business perspective, you know when you go into a collection, there are you know safety concerns. you know, how do you check to see if that object is loaded because a lot of times they are. There are security concerns, there are legal concerns, which we ha- we spoke about at length at the symposium of you know the fact that firearms uh, collections are regulated the same way that civilians, Uh, are regulated with firearms and so there are a lot of those things that you have to kind of get through if you're you know if you have guns in your collection and then how do you interpret it but you know the the thing that I always come back to is the fact though that they are still really publicly popular I think we just need to help um, and that's what this symposium is about help get some of the people working in those institutions to feel empowered to have the tools to communicate that effectively for people so that they you know can learn about firearms history and make their own conclusions. So true. And there is, especially having the, um, the university professor there, he brought such a unique flavor to it because he's an educator and he's educating about the form, the function, the design, right? Because they're an art museum or they're an art school. Yeah. And so he's choosing the firearm as sort of the thing that he's, uh, teaching his his students about the artwork the um you know the the tooling that has to go to make the mechanics work together and that sort of thing and I really applaud him for his efforts well and Ben and I go way back Ben Nicholson with the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and he's also doing a a program at Cornell I think Um, he's been a major champion um, of the study of firearms and one of the reasons why he's doing the classwork on design is because of a conversation that we had had about the fact that you know where are the John Moses Brownings you know where are the William Masons where are these you know designers um, in today's you know firearms manufacturing and so you know it's it's not the traditional route you know normally it's traditionally through engineering but you get some design art students thinking about it and, and my fiance and I, when I went and spoke at the Art Institute years ago, we spoke to that class, the first year of that class. Oh, awesome. And it was really interesting in Chicago to, to hear, you know, everyone's background uh, with or without firearms and their interest in the course. And so we need more people like Ben to, to get that programming out there because it is effective. It is really, you know, popular and it does give people an avenue to study this into the future so that, you know, 50 years from now when, you know, all the firearms museum professionals, you know, aren't around or are retired you know, there are people who are kind of carrying the story on. 
Very good. Well, we have to break for just a minute, but you'll stick around? Yes. Awesome. We still have so much more to talk about with Ashley Oblinsky. She is the museum curator for the Cody Firearms Museum at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. It's the first time I've said that without reading it, I think. Woohoo. I know. You're learning. <laughs> stick around. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Well, I fly that plane Call the angel flight Come on, brother, you're with me tonight Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And we are continuing our conversation with Ashley Oblinsky. Ashley is the curator of the Cody Firearms Museum at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. And we just recently had the exciting uh, opportunity and honor of being invited to the symposium that you put on, Ashley. Uh, it was titled The Ethics of Firearms and Museums, but so many topics were covered in the span of, what, two and a half days, three days? Three days, yeah. And so many interesting people, and I want to kind of get down into the, the meat of what we talked about and who was there. Um, but as as you're listening out there at home, where you're driving down the road, working in the yard, whatever you're doing, I want you to really consider why we in the Second Amendment Second Amendment community should be supporting our local museums because they're really on the front lines of helping people just be in the presence of 
firearms in a historical setting, um, kind of far removed from all of the noise that the media shoves in our ears about their opinions about this tool. Museums allow us to see them just be. They just are. And, uh, and consider what would happen if we sterilized our museums of anything unpleasant that's happened in American history or world history. So there is a real reason to be supporting our museums with our attention, with visiting with our children to pass that along, with our donation dollars, all those things. Um, so let's go to the, to the symposium. Um, this is the second year. Yes. And you had a lot of the same people come back, which to me spells success. Yeah. It must have been time well spent to travel across the country and across the world. Well, that was what was so interesting last year when I got the idea to do the symposium and we sent out the kind of notifications to all these different institutions. And we thought maybe we'd get about half responses of yes. And everybody said yes. And we went, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> now what do we do? It's um, real. You know, And we realized from this symposium that, you know, we never really had an avenue to talk before. You know, we all go to our conferences, you know, AAM and the Western Museums Association. We all go to these conferences, you know, as firearms museum professionals, you know, there, but we never get to talk to one another. And this was the only time, you know, as far as we know, ever in the United States when these people that study firearms from different disciplines were able to come together and talk about opportunities and limitations of interpreting firearms in museums in the 21st century. So yeah, we had a lot of people come back and we also had them come back because we are forming an association yes yes and you are the newly elected president yes congratulations i I could come up with a name for it that'd be great (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but we are we are creating an association um, of uh, firearms uh, museum professionals and academic historians because we recognize that there is a gun or a gun related artifact in pretty much every museum in the country there are very few people who are trained um, in that and there are very few avenues that you can go through through graduate school that allow you to study firearms and so we want to create uh, an association that will you know train up other museum professionals that may not be as knowledgeable in the laws and the safety and the handling of firearms um, so we want to train those people up we want to start putting more coursework in like I like we mentioned we have a professor that's already doing that um, more cur- coursework on the material culture of firearms and not just the legal and political history of firearms but the material culture of firearms and then also continue this kind of academic scholarship within our own world. We kind of realized that, you know, if we didn't necessarily have a seat at the table, we'd make our own table mm-hmm. uh, and really legitimize our, our field in a way that it hasn't been in the past so that when we are, you know, talking to other academic scholars, you know, it's a, it's an equal footing. And so we're really excited about getting that going. Um, we had our first publication come out um, from last year's symposium. It's gorgeous. It's pretty. <laughs> it really um, and we'll be doing our uh, a second one based on the symposium this year and so we are excited to get the association running and then take the symposium on the road we want to go to other museums and other institutions to reach different audiences because the format for the symposium right now is to have a public day where people can you know come and hear about the institutions or hear about specific scholarship and then we break into private workshops where everyone feels comfortable talking about you know legal issues and you know safety concerns and interpretation questions um, in, in, in kind of a closed door session and room and then we publish kind of the summary of that in our in our journal which is available to the public. It's such important work it really is I mean even considering that 
you know, suppose you're a small museum and maybe you've got two firearms in there and one day you get a, a visit from the ATF and then you go, oh, wait a minute. That's not just like having a Lincoln's chair. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a whole different series of things that have to take place for us to even possess that thing and store that thing. Well, and it's, you know, it's not even federal law, too. It's it's state law as well. You know, and we were talking about the the, the running joke throughout the symposium about legal matters is the 1898, you know, kind of cut off for antiques, which means they're not firearms legally, federally. But then there are states that do have that concern. And the Colonial Williamsburg curator had mentioned, um, you know, muzzle loaders in New Jersey and that there was some, you know, there was some legal. I'm not sure of the, the specifics of it, but there are some legal things that you have to deal with there. And so you might be in the clear, you know, federally, but your state or your city may have some restrictions that you have to be aware of as a museum and in our institution we have someone whose job it is is to manage our FFL to make sure that we're in compliance with everything um, and so that's one of the it's it's probably one of the less sexy topics of the symposium but it's a really relevant one um, and what we I actually moderated that panel uh, we talked about the fact that England has a museum firearms license you know and we talked about the fact that the federal firearms license you know separates out pawnbrokers and dealers but there is nothing in the FFL for museums, so we kind of have to conform to other FFL licenses, and we can do it. But you know, should there be you know something that gives museums amnesty into um, owning and preserving firearms, you know, through all of history? And then the other side of that, though, is how do you define a museum? So it's not a simple answer, but it's certainly something we need to be talking about. So amen to all of that. <laughs> and, you know, it's it really is a complicated and, and multi-layered uh, series of conversations and issues. And one of the things that I found interesting that we touched on earlier uh, in the other segment we were talking is that in that room, you had people from every sp realm of the political spectrum. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So, but our our combined uh, focus where we joined together was, you know, we don't want history of any kind. Exactly. To be sterilized, to be squashed, to be forgotten. And so uh, just balancing even some of the side conversations got, you know, interesting because we are coming at things from a different political view, but very respectful. I think that's an amazing thing when that can happen, especially now when everything seems so volatile. Anytime you can find a, a common ground is amazing. Um, but, you know, a lot of people who are learned and they've gone through university and they've got multiple degrees, uh, they are, they, and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of people that go through that pathway do tend to lean liberal, politically speaking. And so they're, they're probably facing a little bit of cognitive dissonance with trying to figure out, so oh so how do i how do i balance this yeah. right um and i i felt like everybody that i met was doing an amazing job of really keeping the focus on the uh, importance of preserving history but you know that's something that we have to think about on our side of the fence that conservative side the side that always wants to think that all gun things and second amendment things belong to us <laughs> Right. And we start throwing, you know, things around like, oh, those liberals and stuff like that. Stop it. We had the liberal gun guy there. We did. Mm -hmm. We did. And there are a lot of people out there that ascribe to uh, liberal politics, 
but yet still value history and still value our Second Amendment. So we need to be more careful with how we approach that and make it a more, you know, us thing. It's a we thing. Well, and with museums now, you know, museums have different missions, but at least at our museum, you know, we are not advocacy, a political institution. Now we're not, you know, totally immune to our own personal biases. Sure. I mean, no one is. Sure. But, um, you know, we take the approach of where we interpret firearms history, good, bad, and indifferent. Yes. And that we feel that we need to tell all those stories when they're relevant. We don't, you know, make the stories, you know, one way or the other. But if it's relevant on a specific timeline, you know, then we're going to tell that story. And I think what was interesting with our symposium, as you pointed out, everybody came from a, a different political background there. And that was something that kind of shocked me the first symposium we did last year was I had everybody go around the room and, you know, kind of introduce themselves. And, you know, I was familiar with um, the curator of the U.S. Marshals Museum who has a Facebook page called the Liberal Gun Guy. But, you know, we had an academic scholar who, you know, took the microphone and said, you know, I am a liberal feminist who studies women's empowerment through hunting. And awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it was really interesting to me it's to like see. like a collision of worlds for right? a lot of us. <laughs> and with the fact that everybody feels that firearms history is necessary to preserve and to understand, I just think is really, really great. And so if you can have from the most liberal to the most conservative people in the room all come together on something and find common ground to interpret firearms history so that the public, because our deal is the public can make their own decision on it. It's not my job to tell you what to think. It's my job to give you the tools to make an informed conclusion. And the fact that we can kind of all come together and do that, um, I think it's fantastic. It is fantastic. So we're about out of time, but I definitely want to just touch briefly on all of the amazing additions that you guys are putting in over there yes. with your renovations. And I also want to be sure that if there's anybody out there listening going, this symposium is right up my alley. I'm a museum curator. I need this information information, how they can be a part of future symposiums. Yeah. Well, we are doing a new, um, we're doing a fully new museum uh, opening next summer. And um, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to centerofthewest.org. It's one of the first panels that you see, um, especially if you're traveling out there uh, in the next year. You may want to check that and get in touch with me so that we can arrange something because uh, the museum won't look the same until next year. But um, yeah, if anyone wants to know what we're doing, feel free to contact me through the website and uh, we'll hook you up. That is fantastic. Thank you for all that you do. You are such a uh, powerful and impactful presence and voice for history and for firearms well, and, and for young women who <laughs> may not know that, you know, you can have, uh, you can be a museum curator and not uh, talk with your upper lip. Uh, well, and here I've been skip. told I'm like a 50 year old man. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so uh, not, absolutely, absolutely so not. Don't, don't. I don't think you're a 50-year-old man. Oh, thank you. You need to get a mirror. Not, not even close. Get a mirror, quick. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And tell folks once again how they can find out more about the museum and follow the work that you do. Uh, you can go to centerofthewest.org or you can check out our social media. Just look up Cody Firearms Museum and you can find us. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Travel safe getting back. Thanks. All right. And have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks. You too. All right. Well, stick around because on the other side of these messages, we have Beth Bauman. Now, Beth Bauman wrote an article recently about measures being taken by the UN to impact gun rights for American citizens. Stick around. We're going to find out about that.
And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's SAF. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Well, I fly that plane. Call the angel flight. Come on, brother, you're with me tonight. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, we are celebrating Memorial Day as we are sitting in the studio on Memorial Day. And even though you'll be listening to this a few days later when we get it all posted up and aired out there, uh, I think that it's important to stop and consider and remember what this day is about and why our history is important to us. Our, like our last guest, Ashley Oblinsky, is the curator of a firearms museum. Uh, we need to protect and preserve our firearms museums and museums that have firearms in them from the political nonsense that goes on. Got to think about that when we place votes out there uh, that affect firearms because certain cities aren't even allowed to have firearms in them, whether it's a museum or not. So let's be mindful of those things. And moving forward today, we have... Beth Bauman. Now, Beth is our next guest. She is the social media writer at Town Hall Media, where she runs evening and weekend social media for the network. She also contributes frequently to Town Hall's notebook section and Twitchy. Beth recently wrote an article about measures being taken by the UN to impact the gun rights of citizens in our country, American citizens. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Well, I'm excited. My husband, Dan, is here as well. Hi, Beth. Welcome. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm disturbed after reading some of the stuff about the UN here. I, um, I'm anxious to talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, 
it, the the saddest part about this whole thing is no one is really talking about it, and that's exactly what they want is for it to kind of be left through the cracks and nobody will notice because we're too busy dealing with other quote-unquote more important things. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I saw a picture here, and it has a, a, a woman, and it says her title is High Representative for Disarmament Affairs. And that just gave a chill in my backbone. Yeah, you know, up until I kind of um, found this story, um, I just happened to stumble across it um, that the UN had posted just, you know, hey, here's kind of what she said. I didn't even know that that title existed. And just, just like with you, it gave me the chills. I mean, that says that says everything in itself of what the UN is, is trying to do. The fact that they have the word disarmament in her title. That is her whole goal and job. Mm. Well, she, need, she needs to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm reading something. That says, According to the United Nations, gun violence can be tracked back to lack of adequate legislation and regulation on gun control and insufficient ability to enforce existing laws, youth unemployment, and lack of job opportunities. And this is what the UN is concerned about in our country? Um, so it's, it's interesting because they word it in a way to where they make it sound like it's a global problem. It's something they're worried about around the world. But it's very obvious that they're talking specifically about America. Where else? There's no other place in the world where we have a Second Amendment or the right to keep and bear arms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think their logic is if they can take down America, if they can take down our Second Amendment, then everybody else will fall into place. If they can take down the biggest superpower in the world, mm-hmm. then they can take down anybody. That mm-hmm. sounds. Like, why don't they re, why don't they reword that to just control? Isn't that what it's all getting down to? A kind of a the United Nations control. Yeah, and the way I think about it is. When I think of this whole situation, I almost get pictures of my mind of Nazi Germany and North Korea, where everybody follows in line. They walk side by side, step by step, and they want America to do the same thing. They want America to get in line with the agenda and with every other nation in the world. And their biggest obstacle is guns, because no other country has this right. And... It's very interesting because it's exactly what our our founding fathers were fearful of. Right. So that kind of is like if they make every country the same, then it's going to be easier for them to control because everybody's the same. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So how has the U.N. utilized gun control groups to advocate for what you write about this Agenda 2030? Like what is Agenda 2030, first of all? Um, Agenda 2030 is this notion um, that basically the world should kind of be the same, Mm. that there should be peace and prosperity and we should all hold hands and sing kumbaya. Good luck with that, Um, ever. Yeah, it's it's a very utopian kind of idea that we're all brothers and sisters in the world and we should all get along and care about the environment and... I personally equate it to, you know, being kind of like hippies who sit around and smoke pot <laughs> and harm no one. 
That's awesome. Getting that done would be like saying getting Iraq and uh, some of these other countries to uh, be along with all of us, like getting criminals to quit being criminals. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. And when we take our guns away, we don't have any options except to surrender. Exactly. And I mean, asking people like ISIS to put down the machetes and to come and sit and be friends with people they hate, it's just unrealistic. It's great in theory, but horrible in practice. Nobody wants war. Nobody wants Nobody wants to send their sons and daughters to a foreign country to fight for peace and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of our human nature is a desire for more power, you know, mm-hmm. absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And um, it's just unrealistic. So that's what Agenda 2030 is. Um, there are people who write about it constantly. I can't even keep up just because of all the crazy stuff they push. Um, but basically, they're, um, they're trying to push this gun control agenda by using gun control groups, like every town and moms demand action. And so their logic is it makes more sense to use Americans to push for this um, this agenda than it, than it is for the UN because then it looks like Americans want it. It looks like we made this decision to get rid of our Second Amendment rights to, um, to quote unquote, be safer. Um, and, and it's more powerful that way. So really, um, a lot of these gun control zealots are nothing but political pawns. Mm, that's and so true. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say they they want to change what makes America different and, u- and unique, which is our First Amendment and our Second Amendment, which set us apart from every other nation in the world. It doesn't make sense to so, me. If I'm going to go into a bad area of town because I have to, I'm going to leave my gun at home because it's safer than for me to carry, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, somebody needs to wake up. Well, it doesn't make sense at all, especially if you're someone who wants to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to need that when you're outside of your home than when you're in. And when they say things like, oh, just lock it up and leave it in a safe and, you know, it, it'll do good there. What about if, you know, someone breaks into my home while I'm here. I'm not going to tell the robber, hey, stop one second. Let me go and get my gun out of the safe, and then you can continue. Yeah, but so then there's a lot of they there's paint, a lot of issues. You they know, paint stories like, oh, that never happens, though, right? <laughs> it's like you know, Beth, you know th- this is only 12 years away, and you know, the uh, UN has influenced a lot of our import laws and other type of things that we already have restrictions on guns. And so this is very scary. Twelve years away from now, they want this to be a gun-free planet. Or exactly. And or controlled by them. And, anyway. they, and they must know that they, they have quite a bit of work to do because originally it was um, 2020 or 2021, Agenda 20. I believe it was 2020. And so they pushed it back. Um, well, so it's important that's... that... That we fight it. You know, the United States is the only country that people, I mean, it seems to me that that the people want to come here because they like our ways. And now the UN is wanting to make us like all the others. It it doesn't make sense to me. Mm 
No. Mm. And yeah. I was going to say anything that starts with the word agenda makes me kind of want to do like in Austin Powers and put my pinky up next to my mouth and go, <laughs> agenda 2030. Beth, she's actually doing that <laughs> as we speak. So I did. I'll, I'll admit it. So what steps should gun owners and those that are passionate about protecting the Second Amendment, what what should we do to make sure that this the UN's anti-gun stance does not become a reality in America? Well, obviously the first thing and the most important thing is to register and to vote. Um, We have the power to influence our government by picking who we have in Congress who represents us. Um, Obviously gun owners are a powerful voting bloc. We saw it in 2016. We we're passionate we get out we vote but not only that but we need to find other like-minded folks and get them to do the same thing if each of us pick two or three people we know who are passionate about their rights but might not necessarily care about the the political side the candidates and stuff and help them work them through that that's huge um being an outspoken and unapologetic supporter um it is so important to to stand up and say, I'm a gun owner, I'm law-abiding, I practice my Second Amendment, I'm passionate about it, and I'm not going to be apologetic for it. That's especially important when we see things like school shootings where everybody instantly comes and tries to attack us and make it sound like we ourselves pull the trigger. I've I've had myself feel almost ashamed that Mm. I'm a gun owner because people look at me and say, well, it's people like you who, who do this. And we need to remind ourselves it's not our fault. We have not done anything wrong. And it's okay to want to preserve something sacred. Amen. Um, and then the other thing, the other big thing is to help new shooters and help them find their voice. When people are first um, really getting kind of into the into guns and their Second Amendment, there's a little bit of fear or intimidation by people who know more. And we need to encourage people to say it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to admit you don't know everything. We all have to start somewhere. And you got to, you know, but keep in mind that, oh, so I'm sorry, Beth, but we got to keep, no, in, no, no. There, keep Go in mind that there are people that are on the fence. And we can influence exactly. those people by by showing them guns and taking them out shooting and going through the experience. Yep. Absolutely. And exactly. we, we are unfortunately out of time. Can you, uh, just as we go out, tell folks how they can follow all of your work um, and get a hold of that article that we're talking about where the UN is trying to impact and influence uh, our gun rights here in, in America. Absolutely. You can find me on townhall.com under the notebook section. I frequently write about Second Amendment issues and legislation. I'm on Twitter at EB454 and on Facebook, Beth Bauman. Very good. Thank you so much, Beth Bauman. Thank We're you definitely, so much for having me. You know it. We're going to have to have you back on again, and we'll see you uh, at the NSSF Summit in a week from now, I yes. think. So I'm looking. Yeah. Can you believe it's already next week? I know. I'm so excited. We'll get to meet in person <laughs> yeah. finally. So thank, finally. Thank you so much. Travel safe, and we'll see you soon. You too. All okay, right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, we still have our second hour coming up, so do not move a muscle. We've got a great lineup of speakers. Speakers. <laughs> 
four speakers, really, right? Lineup of guests, our responsibly armed citizen report, and Dan's commentary. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband and Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Hey, this is Lloyd Bailey, the Armed Lutheran, host of the Armed Lutheran Radio Podcast, reminding you that the podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Check out all the great content at selfdefenseradio.net.